Hey everybody, it's the Never Heard of a Podcast. I'm Sean Harwell. I will never do that again. Mm. This is the movie where... <laughs> this is the movie. This is the movie where we talk about podcasts. Who doesn't want to watch that? Sounds like fun. Sounds like box office gold to me. It does. Now, this is the podcast where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks and vocabulary is falling through my cracks right now, mm-hmm. my multiple cracks, see? Yeah. The voice you're hearing chirping me in the background is none other than my coveted co-host, mm-hmm. Craig Moorhead. Hello, and how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> wow. How was that? That was Opera Man-esque. Yeah. I liked it. Thank you. I'm doing great, Sean. How are you doing? Not bad, not bad. Getting past the little bit of snow we had over the weekend, if you're listening mm-hmm. in a place in North Carolina where you're still digging out of massive amount of snow the rest of the state got, uh, you have my sympathies, because, yeah, I'm kind of done done with it, a little bit yeah. done with it. But by the time people hear this, they'll be like, snow, what are you talking about, man? Yeah, they'll probably say exactly that. Yeah, because it, it might even be like 70 degrees on the day they're listening to this in the exact same place that it had snow last week, so... It's just, just how we roll down here, as you know. Yeah. Other than that, I'm great. I'm excited to talk once again about Black Christmas. This is part two. If you haven't listened to part one, how is this going to make any sense to you whatsoever? Yeah. All the questions that were asked in the first one are going to be answered in this one. <laughs> exactly. So you better go listen to that. And if you want to do that, hey, we're on Spotify. We're everywhere else that you're not listening to this right now. So if you feel like mm-hmm. switching it up, go for it. And uh, Craig, you want to tell people, as you always do, where they could come, say hello online, maybe leave a review. It's the end of the year. You know, you could give that gift to us. We're not asking for money. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could do that if you want. I mean, we're not turning it down. Yeah, but we're not asking. Uh, So you can find us on neverheardpodcast.com. You can find us at Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram. There's a lot of places you can find us. And you can give us movie suggestions. You can tell us what you thought of the show. You can send, I don't know, emojis. What do people do? Gifts. Gifts. Memes. If you if you got good memes. We love memes. Um, memes. Lots of memes. Give us as many memes as you can. But anyway, that's that's how you can find us. And, uh, and, and we hope you do. Please do. We're going to need some suggestions for next year. We'll take a little break after the holidays, Mm -hmm. and we'll come back strong and would love to do so with some of the movies that you would like us to watch. And we do have a few of yours already, if you've sent one and we haven't got to it. We hope to do so in the near and dear future. Mm. But first, Mm -hmm. Craig, it hasn't been that long since we recorded, but tell me, have you watched anything else since? Sean, you'll be surprised to know that I have watched something. I am surprised. What is it? Let me guess. Yeah. Uh, the monsters that is not what i watched <laughs> okay at all but i watched westworld ah yeah i've never the seen the yule brenner movie the right? yule brenner the yule brenner okay. version okay. uh not the hbo I, I got about four or five episodes into the hbo one and i and it kind of kind of trickled off for me I, I understand that i need to go back and watch it but um I've seen neither. How you like them apples? Oh man, it's good. That's I love them apples. <laughs> that means I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Westworld. What can you say about it? A few things. James Brolin <laughs> looks just like Christian Bale to me. 
Really? I can't. I can never get it out of my head. Every time he pops up on screen, I'm like, it's like I'm looking at Christian Bale. I can see that. I've never thought about that, but I, I see perhaps a connection. I find the relationship between him and his friend very interesting. <laughs> I like how you haven't seen the movie at all, have you? No. Nope. It's it's on Amazon Prime now. I'm gonna spoil a lot of it for you right now, though. Please but it's do. Still, yeah. It's still worth watching, obviously, but like it feels like most of the film are robots doing like having small malfunctions. And this scientist in the underground scientist layer with a bunch of other scientists talking about, oh, that, that shouldn't happen. Why is that happening? Why why did that happen? Mm-hmm. And then and then the last half an hour of the movie is just Yul Brynner going on a rampage. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like it's like every it's it's not like everything hits the fan and then there's a lot of figuring stuff out. It's just like these guys are underground saying that shouldn't be happening. And then the last half an hour is just like, it's done. Like, there's no fighting back now. It's just, it's over. I like it. I, I do kind of like the my fact kind of that there's not a lot of uh, explanation, which is mm-hmm. nice. And kind of kind of the retro robotisms of, of the day or like especially Yul Brenner's eyesight is really something to behold. Huh. But uh, it certainly wasn't bored. And I'm sure that's how a lot of people felt watching Westworld. I remember Janet Maslin's famous blurb that said, certainly wasn't bored. Ah, there you go. Craig. Yeah. Well, I haven't finished anything. <laughs> Fair but enough. But it, it's, it's finally begun. I have, at long last, started to watch Black Panther. I'm not going to say anything else about it. Mm-hmm. I still have quite a bit to watch. Yeah. But if the stars align, yeah. the next time we talk, which will be the last episode of the year, I will have watched Black Panther Black Christmas and Black Klansman. Oh man! I'm trying to do this the hat trick and Good see if luck. I can do it. I know it's like a it's a movie mission. And uh, thank you for your well wishes. Yeah. And I'll report back once I've summited the peak. How much do you have to watch a day to to like <laughs> kind of meet your goals? That's gonna yeah that might take a lot. Mm-hmm. I was hoping I could knock out say. An hour forty-five at most of Black Panther because that's mm-hmm. a that's a pretty long movie, you know. That's been one of yeah. the reasons I haven't got to it. Yeah. But I know they're yanking it off of the old Netflix here by the end of the year. So I was like, I got I got to see this thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I did I did fall I fell asleep, Craig. I fell yeah. asleep for a little bit here and there. Yep. I was tired. What am I gonna sure. say? I was tired. Sure. I was, I was outside playing in the snow with a kid, shoveling. These things happen, okay? Dark room. Yep. Blankets may have been on me. I was cozy. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to have to, (laughs) I'm going to have to better my intake amount than I did that night. I'll just say, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But Black Christmas, Black Klansman, I mean, I'm hoping I'm just boom, boom, one sitting. I mean, just, just do it for the novelty of it. First reformed, one sitting, no problem. Right. Screeners have been coming in in droves. I got like four today, so I got a lot to see. Yeah, I know. I'll report back when we start again, 2019 on, on all that. We'll, we'll deal with that. But today... Uh, let's pick up part two of Black Christmas, yeah? Let's do it. Who is that? Who is it? Claude? Who is it? You heard the first tee up. You know we covered the cast and crew. There was a lot to talk about there. There's some heavy hitters in this thing that I did not realize were in this thing. Yeah. 
and a director by the name of Bob Clark, who I guarantee most people listening to this have at least seen one of his movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Anybody listening to this, even even people just looking at it and scrolling past it, they've probably seen, yeah, the famous A Christmas Story. So this is his other Christmas story, if you will. Mm-hmm. I still haven't watched it yet. I'm just the excitement is building. We're going to talk about the release of this movie, and we're going to talk about the production of it and just some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm super excited to hear what you found out, but I am going to go first and uh, talk about the release. Yeah? Please do. So as we talked about last time, you know, Bob Clark was working in Canada, and so this movie got a Canadian release before it hit the States. It came out in October in Canada because, you know, why not? It is a Christmas movie, Mm -hmm. per se, and that... The word Christmas is in the title, but it's also a horror movie. So, yeah, you get maybe best of both worlds. You come out before Halloween. You stay in theaters through Christmas. I don't know if that happened, but I'm going to assume that it did. That was October 11th in 1974 in Canada, and then it hit U.S. theaters on December 20th, Craig, 1974, which is important because the day this podcast drops will be December 19th. Yes. So there's a chance if you're listening to this on December 20th, hey, the movie is exactly 44 years old in American years. Not bad. Did you know, Craig, that this movie was initially released as Silent Night, Evil Night? Sean, I did know that. Yeah, and you probably know why, too, but it's because Warner Brothers, who distributed this in the U.S., mm-hmm. thought the original title might make people think that it was a black exploitation flick. The one state I saw mentioned tied to this idea in particular was, of course, a southern state being Virginia. Of course. So, yeah, I don't know exactly what all was going on there, but that was their mindset, although they did, to their credit, retract the title after the initial release and restored it to Black Christmas for subsequent screenings, which is good. The release strategy was a little confusing to me beyond that. I don't know exactly where and how many theaters it played in initially, but Wikipedia in the exact same article basically said that the film did a run in 75 as well. It did New York and Chicago, 19 theaters in Los Angeles, and it did great ticket sales. So Warner Brothers expanded it to a total of 70 theaters in the States in time for Halloween of 1975. But it sort of tapered off, and they were only averaging about $700 per theater per day. And so they withdrew the film from circulation in December However, the Internet Movie Database says that the movie was re-released on December 26, 1975. So I don't know who to believe. My guess is it was just one of these like slow rolls that was. it may yeah. have just been out here and there throughout the course of a, a good year there. Yeah, movie releases are kind of harder to get a handle on looking back. Like now you know if it's three months later, that movie's not in the theater anymore. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> There's yeah. no way. If that, yeah. yeah. And it may not even go to theaters at all. It may just come yeah. straight to your to your internet box. The movie was censored, at least in the UK, I, I discovered. Hmm. Possibly elsewhere. I'm not positive. As you may rightfully assume, well, again, I haven't seen it, but I'm under the impression that murders do happen in this movie. But the stuff they cut out, of course, had to do with sex. It was the use of the C word. And there was other sexual references during one of the phone calls that was deemed obscene. So, again, killing, totally fine. Yes. Talking about doing it, got to get rid of it. Yep. Right. This movie was also known in Argentina as La Residencia Macabra. Ooh, the Macabre Residence. (laughs) Yes. Sorry, I speak Argentinian. 
Um, hey, welcome to the Macabre residence. There's got to be a horror spoof in there about a family named Macabre, right? A family, Bob and... Oh, who cares? Go ahead. Linda. Bob and Linda. Yeah, no, it was, it's a bad bit. I'm sorry. Go ahead. They live down the street. Uh, mm-hmm. And in Germany, or at least in West Germany at the time, uh, IMDb says that this movie was known as Jesse Die Treppe den Tod. Mm. Which I think, according to Google Translate, means Jesse the Stairs to Death. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I'll go with that one. And not like stairs with your eyeballs. I'm talking, I'm talking right. about the stairs that you might take in your house. Yes. Tons of fantastic Christmas pun-related taglines for this movie. Oof. Although the first tagline I came across was, Black Christmas will rock you too. Hmm. I don't know. Was We Will Rock You by Queen Hot that year or something? I don't know. Yeah, that could have been. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. Actually, no, no. That's That was like 80s, wasn't it? I mean, anyway. I'm looking at the poster. And, yeah, I think you're right. There's a rocking chair, it looks like, so I don't know. Yes. Uh, if this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight, which you- I love that one. Should have heard in the first part of this series. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. But here we go. Here was some of the Christmas ones. Christmas is coming early this year, and it's murder. What? That one's not quite as strong. It doesn't quite make as much sense. The sort of Christmas you don't dream of. That one I like. Well, yeah. Have yourself a scary little Christmas. Not uh, at all like the ones you used to know. Yeah, I think that one went on a little too long. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows. Wow. This is, my, this is the best. It's beginning to look a lot like bloodshed. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Sean, I want yeah. you to hit me with, off top of your head, what would be your tagline for this movie? Jingle balls of death. I, that, I don't know. That's nice. That's terrible. And yes, I said jingle balls. Over. The, uh, how about over the uh, uh, over the killings and through the blood? <laughs> to grandma's house we go? Mm-hmm. Cool. Keep that last part, yeah. There's got to be a good pun on sleigh, like a sleigh ride. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Most likely. This movie cost $620,000 to make. Some of that was, I believe, funded by the Canadian Film Fund, which they're well known best. for. The I best. know, so good. Uh, and it made 4053000 at the U.S. box office, which, at least according to IMDb, kind of put it in the lower ranks on the year. But that's mm-hmm. still a great return of investment, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You can see why people were like, oh, this guy needs to keep making movies. Yeah. I don't know how much you remember about 1974, but it was the best year in film history, I think, Craig. And here's why. We're going to run through the top 10 box office hits of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to try to guess number one, and I'll give you a hint. I don't think you're going to guess it, but I guarantee you've seen it probably 10 times. Number one for the year, 1974. Yep. Uh, I don't know, Godfather 2? Good guess. It was that year, but no, Blazing Saddles was the number one movie in America. Wow. Made $119 million. Wow. I had no idea. That's Me insane. Neither. Man, that's a ballsy movie, too. Um, it is. This was the year of the disaster triumvirate. So number two, you had The Towering Inferno. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three was a movie called The Trial of Billy Jack, which I don't know anything about. Uh, number four, I mean... Talk about Mel Brooks. Young Frankenstein was number four that year. Wow. So he had the number one and the number four movie. Frankenstein made $86 million. That's, I, what, that's crazy. What a huge year, yeah. Yeah, so five, we're back with Disaster Earthquake. 
Mm-hmm. Exclamation point. Six, taking of Pelham. One, two, three. Great. Number seven was a Godfather part two, which wow. I'm going to talk a little bit more about in a second. Uh, number eight was Airport 1975. I think that was the last of the big disaster movies. And then uh, you had The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams and The Longest Yard, starring Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. R.I.P. And that movie made $43 million. So, yeah, there's a big difference between 43 and the $4 million that Black Christmas made. But, again, it wasn't shooting for this top ten anyway. Mm-hmm. So, also that year, you got Chinatown came out in June. MGM celebrated their 50th anniversary. Kevin Costner made his film debut in Sizzle Beach, USA, although it didn't get released until 1986. Sizzle Beach! Uh, but a big year for movies, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Oscars that year, but you already guessed it. So, yeah, Best Picture was Godfather 2. Coppola cleaned up Best Director. Art Carney won Best Actor for Harry and Tonto. Ellen Burstyn, I love this movie and her in it. Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore won Best Actress. Uh, Bobby D of The Swap. <laughs> and uh, what was the other movie we watched? I don't even remember. Uh, uh, yeah. De Niro, yeah, Godfather Part Two, Best Supporting Actor. Best Supporting Actress went to lovely Ingrid Bergman for Mortar, Mortar on the... Murder no. on the Orient Express mm-hmm. by Sidney Lumet, and screenplays went to Coppola and Robert Town, respectively, for The Godfather 2 and Chinatown for Best Original and Adapted. Uh, I did stuff. not realize that The Conversation also came out that year. Yeah. And was also nominated for Best Picture, if I'm not mistaken. Coppola had a huge year, too. Massive year. Uh, you also got California Split from Altman. Female Trouble by John Waters. You got Foxy Brown with Pam Greer. So maybe the black exploitation thing was in full effect there mm-hmm. to give Warner Brothers a little bit of leeway. Uh, you had Robert Redford's Great Gatsby movie, Phantom of the Paradise. I know you're a fan of that one, right? I love it. Rhinoceros, which we covered on this very podcast. Mm-hmm. Spielberg's The Sugarland Express. Cassavetti's A Woman Under the Influence. And the infamous movie Zardoz, which I. Kind of still got it. We still got to watch that. Yeah. yeah. But Craig, Black Christmas, small Canadian movie, a horror movie, despite the fact that, yeah, you got Margot Kidder in there and Kier Dula and Olivia Hussey. You know, I don't think you release a movie like this expecting the critics to really have your back. Sure. And they didn't necessarily. It was a bit split. Uh, the New York Times wrote... A whodunit that raises the question as to why it was made. <laughs> uh, I got one out of five on the rating scale. Variety said, quote, a bloody, senseless kill-for-kicks feature that exploits unnecessary violence in a university sorority house. I cannot talk tonight. In a university sorority house mm-hmm. operated by an implausibly alcoholic ex-hoofer. Its slow-paced, murky tale involves an obscene telephone caller who apparently delights in killing the girls off one by one. Which we have to point out by now, that just sounds like a classic horror setup, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing in that review. I'm like, oh yeah, that just sounds like a horror movie. Like, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm okay. And I would say that that review especially, we should maybe clip that and keep that for the next episode. Okay, we'll do. That's and, variety. And we'll come back Go back, back to, that. to like, yeah, what they're saying there because... Okay. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, and it, yeah, it's worth talking about when they, when they talk about exploiting unnecessary violence. Yeah. Uh, TV Guide. Lovable TV Guide. Love Three them. out of four stars. Said, although strictly standard fare, the material is elevated somewhat through Clark's skillful handling of such plot devices as obscene phone calls uh, from the killer to the girls 
and a nicely handled twist ending, which provides a genuine shock. Leonard Malton. Craig, did you, do you know what his most frequent rating is in his stars uh, scale? Three, three beards up? <laughs> I wish. Straight up? Okay. Uh, I guess it's two and a half. I didn't realize that, but that makes sense. I guess he just calls it oh, right no. down the middle. Uh, that's what this movie got. He called it bizarre, but also praised uh, Margot Kidder uh, as a standout. And uh, Time Out, their film guide, said, quote, that manages a good slice of old-fashioned suspense. Mm-hmm. And a nice bran-filled bowl of oatmeal. Ah, uh, yeah. yes. Yes, oatmeal. Oh, <laughs> thought we were doing but, a commercial for oatmeal. I know. It sounds like it. Uh, but hey, got nominated for Best Horror Film by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, and it did yeah. well with, at the Canadian Film Awards. Got nominated for Best Feature, won both Best Sound Editing and Best Actress in a Leading Performance for Margot Kidder. Got a Best Feature nomination as well from the Edgar Allan Poe Awards. Mm-hmm. Which I've heard of all those things, and good for them that they got nominated. Let's tip our hat to Canada there, man. Absolutely, eh? Canada gives us some of the best stuff. I mean, they nominated this for best feature. Yeah, and they were right. $620,000 movie. Okay, obviously this movie has a legacy that has lasted longer uh, than some of these reviews might suggest would have happened or been the case, right? This film ranked number 87 on the TV channel Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments, mm-hmm. Olivia Hussey, who plays Jesse, told Bravo during their interview for that that when she met Steve Martin for the first time, he told her that she was in his favorite movie of all time. She assumed he was talking about Romeo and Juliet, but no, he said it was Black Christmas and that he had seen it 27 times. Yeah. Steve, if you're listening, I would love verification on all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was on TV. She said it on TV, so it has to be true, right? I think so. Now, this movie, there was a bit of controversy tied to this when it was released for TV. And I didn't know anything about this, right? Yeah. So when it came to be released upon TV, which was 1978, it was supposed to air on Saturday night, January 28th. NBC has a weekly Saturday night at the movie show. They, of course, changed the title to Stranger in the House. Don't know why. I don't know what's wrong with Black Christmas. Again, no. great title. But two weeks prior to this premiere, the Chi Omega sorority house on the campus of Florida State University was a scene of a double murder in which two sisters, like sorority sisters, not actual blood sisters, right. uh, were asleep in their bed, but beds and were bludgeoned to death. The killer then went to a nearby room and violently attacked two more sleeping co-eds who managed to survive. Do you know who that killer was, Craig? Yes, actually I do. I had it right here, Ted Bundy, right? Yeah, it was Ted Bundy. Yeah. Who was executed for this and many other homicides in 1989. I didn't go way down the rabbit hole. I mean, obviously I'm aware of the guy. Right. But I did glance at his Wikipedia page. He confessed to 30 murders in seven states just between 74 and 78. Yeah. That's a lot of killing. And And they certainly think there's more. Do you remember his interview shortly before he was, I believe, put to death? No. He gave this interview where he said that it was all because he was exposed to pornography. Jesus. Really? Sometime in the 80s he did this. And uh, I remember later it being pointed out how... I, I can't remember exactly what the thing was, but it was like like the, the anti-porn lobby had kind of made, you know, a kind of a deal with him. 
like come out and say that it was all because of pornography and we'll do such and oh, such for okay. so and so or something like that. I mean, it, it's cow. really like like looking at it now, especially it's like, dude, <laughs> like you didn't open a Playboy and then decide to kill people. Yeah, kudos to the anti-porn lobby for striking a deal with Ted Bundy. Wow. Oh yeah, he's he's hard to get. He's hard to get. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Good God, ah, that's terrible. That's awful. But yeah, NBC did give, uh, I think, Florida, Georgia, and several other markets, Alabama, the option of showing an alternate movie at their affiliates that night. And that movie was Doc Savage, The man's of, the Man of Bronze. So that is bound to be the answer to a very obscure trivia question yes. that you may run across during trivia night at your local sports bar. So there you go, Doc Savage. Indeed. Craig. Yeah. There's a novelization of this movie written by Lee Hayes. It was published in 1976 by Popular Library. I'm sure you have mm-hmm. a copy on your shelf. I always do. Yep. Um, I love that novelizations exist. And I know they did one for their most recent Halloween movie, so they're still sure. a thing, which I didn't know. Uh, IMDb tells us that if you like Black Christmas, you may also like, and get this, Black Christmas. Ah, well. 2006. Yeah. I mean, you would think, right? Yeah. Right. I would hope. <laughs> Again, they are not... They're not stretching themselves on these. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, which feels like they just stole the tagline from Black Christmas, maybe. Mm -hmm. You got My Bloody Valentine, so you have all your holidays covered. Uh, Sleepaway Camp, The Burning. You ever heard of The Burning or seen The Burning? Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah? I I wasn't familiar with them. Sounds interesting. And then, uh, of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But no Halloween. I shouldn't say that they covered their their holidays there because they did not put that in their first six recommendations here that is yeah that's interesting because we do kind of have a connection yeah i'm gonna talk about that in one second but i did want to mention that again december 20th 1974 i went looking to see what else happened that day and really couldn't find anything of huge significance although december 20th is my daughter's birthday so happy birthday Mm -hmm. black christmas anniversary daughter yes also, yeah, Godfather Part Two got released that day, at least in wide release. Real quickly, were you aware that that movie like really had a strongly divided response to it when it first came out? No, I did not know that. Me either. In fact, Ebert was very critical of the whole flashback structure. I think he said that it like never recovered from that structure. He wasn't alone. There were several, uh, I kind of glanced at it, there were several critics that were, were not too keen on, on the whole thing of it there. It seems like people maybe changed their mind uh, mm-hmm. after seeing it a second time. I think Ebert wrote a second review. But Siskel, for his part, we never quote Siskel on this show. We, we need to do that. We always quote Ebert, I right? I know. He had a couple good lines here about Godfather 2. said, as beautiful, as harrowing, and as exciting as the original. In fact, The Godfather Part 2 may be the second best gangster movie ever made, but it's not the same. Sequels can never be the same. It's like being forced to go to a funeral the second time. The tears just don't flow as easily, which <laughs> I was like, damn, that's a pretty interesting analogy there. But he, yeah. he he liked the movie, I think, quite a bit. Anyway, that's December 20th. Back to Halloween, though. Certainly, that's tied to this movie's legacy. Wikipedia had something in it mentioning the cult following that Black Christmas has and that it did go on to inspire certainly other slasher movies and said the biggest of those was Halloween. In parenthetical, it says, quote, which was apparently inspired by Clark suggesting what a Black Christmas sequel would be like. 
I don't know about that. They've got three citations beside that. I didn't go mm-hmm. down that road, but I did listen again to an episode of, there's a great podcast called Halloween Unmasked, which is all about the Halloween franchise and was leading up to the new movie, which I still haven't seen, of course. And they talked to the like the producer that's credited with coming up with the idea for Halloween and, and bringing it to John Carpenter. He said, like, I've told the story a million times, told it a million times. It just came to me. Like, he had, like, the idea for babysitters, and then, boom, the the title Halloween came to mind. We set on Halloween. He made no mention of Black Christmas on that, at least that. So I don't know. I don't know how true that is. Maybe you've heard otherwise. But that's all I got, Craig. I'll pass the mic. Thank you. Yeah, well, on that, yeah, I I, I have not seen anything where John Carpenter says that that's exactly what happened. But I do have what Bob Clark says happened. Okay. Uh, This is a quote. He says, I never intended to do a sequel to Black Christmas. I did a film about three years later, started a film with John Carpenter. It was his first film for Warner Brothers. He asked me if I was ever going to do a sequel, and I said no. I was through with horror. I didn't come into the business to do just horror. He said, well, what would you do if you did do a sequel? I said it would be the next year and the guy would have actually been caught, escaped from a mental institution, go back to the house, and they would start all over again. And I would call it Halloween. You know, some people think like that's that's was just him joking about it or maybe he was serious about that. Yeah. Then some people were saying, well, do you feel like he stole the idea from you then? Hmm. And he had a quote for that too. He said, uh, the truth is John didn't copy Black Christmas. He wrote a script, directed the script, did the casting. Halloween is his horror movie, and besides, the script came to him already titled anyway. He liked Black Christmas and may have been influenced by it, but in no way did John Carpenter copy the idea. Fifteen other people at that time had thought to do a movie called Halloween, but the script came to John with that title on it. And I was like, that's that's pretty fair. Yeah. Like, that's true. I, like, no doubt about it. There were plenty of other movies probably called Halloween at the time. That was just the one that actually got made. Huh. But yeah, its, it's influence does go pretty deep. I mean, we have, you know, we have Steve Martin, clearly loved it. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter, too. That's all the influence you really need. I wonder if Steve Martin will ever do like a, a banjo cover of the soundtrack. Oh, we can only hope. <laughs> with uh, with like the obscene phone calls like mixed in. Perfect. Because let me tell you something. The obscene phone calls, you get a lot of good obscene phone calls in this, Sean. If you're a fan of obscene phone calls... I'm a fan of phone calls in movies in general if they're done well. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. This is this is really some of the best. Oh, good. So what I want to talk about is just some of the trivia. Hopefully, some of the some of the interesting behind the scenes type things. Great. While this movie was being made, uh, a few things to note about our friend Black Christmas. Uh, according to director Bob Clark, the original script for the film featured murder scenes that were more graphic. Hmm. I don't want to spoil anything for you. Okay, thank you. So, I just won't say anything. Oh, okay. So, we're done? Yeah. (laughs) Jesus, okay. I mean, well, I'll just say, well, no, it's it's, it's simple to say this. He wrote murder scenes that were more graphic. It wouldn't be hard to be more graphic than this movie. Okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's a part of me that feels like like Rocky II is more graphic than Black Christmas. But but we'll, it's not 100% true, but I mean, it's... uh, (laughs) It's like at least 75% true. We'll do a body count, yeah. Yeah. Clark, however, felt that it would be more effective if the murders were toned down and made more subtle on screen. Writer Roy Moore liked the idea as well. Well, of course he did. Yeah. 
Now, Roy Moore, again, the writer, took his inspiration. Oh, I don't want to say where he took his inspiration from. The inspiration, one, one half of the inspiration for this movie, once you've seen it, will be 100% clear if it's not already. Okay. And we'll definitely get into that during huh. the thing. But he also based it on a series of murders that took place in Montreal around Christmas time. And I looked up, I can't believe I couldn't find anything about it. I found one story about this kid around Christmas time, this 14-year-old kid who beat his mother, his 38-year-old mother to death with a baseball bat. Like Holy in, shit. Like in the 20s or the 30s or something. Oh my God, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's really disturbing. And maybe maybe that affected Roy Moore so much, but like there was very little connective tissue there. So yeah, uh, I'm not sure I found the exact right thing. If I come up with anything better on that, I'll, I'll let you know. Sean, you might be interested to know that the original title... Oh, shit. Did we already say this? I can't remember if I read this or if you just said it. That's how tired I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I don't even remember what I... Oh, Silent Night, Evil Night? No. Okay. No, that was the original title. I'm talking about the original, original title. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know. The original title uh, was... White Christmas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they were like, wait a second. Yeah, we're going to get sued. Yeah. No. Uh, the original title of the film was Stop Me. Director Bob Clark came up with the title Black Christmas, saying that he liked the irony of something dark occurring during such a festive holiday. And that's, that is a good bit of irony. It's I feel like title. irony is important in your titles. How do you feel about your titles having irony in them? I like it all right. Yeah. You can go too far with it. I like the title Stop Me. I don't know if it's right for this movie because I haven't seen it. And I do right. obviously like... You know, they got a lot of mileage out of putting Christmas in the title there. Yeah. But Stop Me is not a terrible... Although it does make me think of Stop or My Mom Will Shoot or whatever that right. movie was. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Estelle Getty plays one of the sorority sisters no in kidding. this movie. Wow. Okay. That's right. <laughs> I can't um, believe we skipped that in the previous. Yeah, well, I wanted the people to have a surprise. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. No, I mean, Black Christmas is a, is a superior title. I mean, yeah. A horror Christmas movie. You might as well put Christmas in there. Perfect. Uh, Keir Dulay, Gone Tomorrow, am I right? <laughs> right, yeah. Sean, you yeah, have to listen right. to the uh, first episode to uh, understand that. Uh-huh. Keir Dulay worked only for one week on this movie. Oh my gosh, really? That's right. He never met Margot Kidder. Huh. He barely met John Saxon. But, and IMDb helpfully notes, that it was edited in such a way that he appears to be present throughout. And it's like, yeah, that's generally how movies are made. I guess he really was Kier today and gone tomorrow in that case, huh? <laughs> I guess so. I, I even said that wrong. Kier Dulay gone tomorrow. Kier Dulay, yeah. God. Did you say Kier Duday? I think I said Kier today. Oh, Keir you said Kier today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which that works just as well. It really does. You don't have to do his whole name. The old coward is a coward. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. This is turning into madness. That's okay. Now, despite its uh, ominous themes and plot, IMDb tells me, Olivia Hussey uh, says that the set was light and happy. Very happy place to be between takes. Uh, cool. Everyone got along very well. However, now I got I to gotta throw a little dirt around. She did admit that Margot Kidder seemed rather distant during filming. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Well, maybe it was the kind of distance... That wins you Best Actress oh. Canadian Film Awards. Yeah, maybe. That's and the, a, the kind that gets an acting you acting lesson. 
Leonard Maltin's uh, admiration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would be distant from people to get Leonard Almond's almonds. <laughs> Leonard Almon from the Almond Brothers Band. You remember him? Yeah. From China Grove, or is that Doobie Brothers? Anyway, there's a POV shot. Very important, the POV shots. Like we have POV of our killer. Yeah. Who is apparently named Billy. Hmm. Although no one ever, I don't think anyone says his name in the movie. But uh, a lot of that is a POV shot. And I mean, that was, I can't say uh, for sure it was the first time it was ever used that way. But I mean, it's been used so many times since. Well, it's in Psycho, right? In the shower scene. There's certainly some in Psycho, but it's like not... I, I guess that's the thing. So in Psycho's day, it wasn't quite as uh, freeform okay. as it is here. So what I was going to say was that cinematographer Albert J. Dunk, fantastic name, he rigged a, a camera harness to a mount on his shoulder, right? So he had this thing just attached to him. Yeah. And he would walk around the house and climb things and, and walk through things and stuff like that to get these shots of our mm-hmm. POV shots. And I mean, the POV shots are are really well done. Well, we'll again, we'll talk about it <laughs> okay. in the movie. Uh, really well done stuff, though. The snow that, that you'll see outside the sorority house, Sean, it's not real snow. Get out of here. They're in Canada. Did you What's know? their excuse? Well, I know. Well, exactly. I thought it was 24-7 snow up there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there had been surprisingly little snow during mm-hmm. filming. I guess they were expecting it anyway but uh, a foam material was provided by the local fire department they hose stuff all over the place the substance actually caused the grass on the lawn to grow greener than ever the following spring i'm sure it was completely safe to inhale as well as well oh, I, I, i'm sure yes i'm sure it did not affect anyone's health yes uh whatsoever sean you know are you familiar with the artist elvis presley yes the actor yes the actor Mm-hmm. who occasionally would sing in his movies. Yeah. This was his favorite horror movie. What is and going on with Elvis and Steve Martin? This is a, right? <laughs> this is crazy. Okay. Yeah. This is how good this movie is. His tradition, he would watch it every Christmas. And apparently, his family keeps that tradition and watches it in his memory. That's a dark tradition. We got to get to the bottom of that. Okay. I know. Yeah. Uh, uh this is this is great. That Somebody seems... tweet Lisa Marie. Yeah, find out. Someone let us know. Is that really happening or what? That's I love it. I, I kind of don't even want to know that it might not be true. I know, I know. Well, we can just ignore the facts if we don't like them. That's true. Now, Bob Clark has said. Now, Olivia Hussey, she had been in Romeo and Juliet, had won a Golden Globe. Yeah, she was she was hot stuff. Mm-hmm. And Clark said that her decision to take the role of Jess was based on advice that was given to her by a psychic. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Uh, apparently, her psychic believed the film would be successful and a wise career choice for her. She took the role. So are psychics real now? I think this is absolute proof. I mean, I don't that's know pretty good proof. that we can argue against it if that's what happened. I mean, it was successful. Yeah. And there's generally no reason to believe any, any movie is going to ever be successful. Now, the audio for the demented phone calls, which again, really takes center stage... These phone calls are a special, special thing. They were edited into the film during post-production, so no one was really hearing this stuff. Hmm. While they were shooting the footage for the phone call scenes, the actresses were actually just reacting to threatening dialogue that Bob Clark was speaking to them off camera. (laughs) 
I'm going to try and find audio for that. Okay. Uh, hopefully there's something. I, I don't know, but... Oh, what horrible things were you saying in 1974? No, Is there any sort of making of on that fancy-pantsy Blu-ray you got? Yes, okay. definitely. I just haven't been able to dive into it. So that's I, I got to get into that before this is done. That would be fun to watch, yeah. Or not, I don't know. But also, in these calls, you'll kind of hear these three different voices. Like It's like, it's like all these voices kind of melded together. Mm-hmm. Bob Clark says that the three voices were from actor Nick Mancuso an unnamed actress and himself. Apparently no one can remember who exactly did the third voice on the phone. <laughs> this is what's interesting. That's hilarious. I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's apparently uh, an actress named Anne Sweeney. Okay. But no one's really sure. And apparently also no one's really sure who, when, when Billy does show up on camera, uh-huh. who Billy is. Like who played him? Yeah. Apparently, no one's really sure who he is. What, is, what do they mean they don't what, know who not, he is? Not, not who he is, but who is playing him. Right. How do they not know the that? In different shots. I'll just say that. Okay. And then you take that as, as you will. Okay. I'm going yeah, watch that and look specifically. Yeah. So it's more than one person? That's what I think, yeah. Okay. Because, because it sounds like there are people who say, no, I'm, I'm the one who did it. And then someone else, I, th- I believe, was like, uh, no, no, I, I did that once. Yeah. And then it just kind of became, you know, this, this muddled thing. It was clearly something that no one had really thought out. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a plan, in other words. But Here, it, but you sure be Billy. Yeah. Yeah. Margot Kidder, the distant Margot Kidder. <laughs> God. She admitted in an interview that she never thought the film would become a hit. Mm-hmm. She was surprised to learn that it had gained such a large cult following over the years. She didn't go to the same psychic that Olivia Hussey went to, obviously. No. And she very well could have. Mm -hmm. But, uh, oh, here's a good one. Composer Carl Zitterer said that he created the bizarre music score for the film by tying forks, combs, and knives to the strings of his piano. So the sound would warp as he struck the keys. That's really cool. The music in this is so good. Like, it is... So, so good. Um, he said it would he would distort the sound further by recording on audio type while putting pressure on the reels of the machine mm-hmm. to make it turn slower. The music creates such a great atmosphere from this thing. Uh, Malcolm McDowell was originally offered to play uh, the role of Peter, hmm. but he turned it down. Got to get a psychic, you know? All these people, all they lack really is a good <laughs> psychic. Here's, here's trivia no one needs to know because we could have all guessed. None of the actors portraying teenagers in the film were actually in their teens. Are you saying they were under the age of 13? They were 12. Oh, my God. That's right. Uh, except for Olivia Huff, Huffy. Huffy. Except for Olivia, except for Olivia Hussey, who was nine years old. Oh, my goodness. Truly a, an amazing performance, considering she was like 13 in Romeo and Juliet. Yes, very Benjamin Button. Uh, so they, I'm guessing, were 20 plus or no? Is it real obvious? Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're they just all in their 20s. Okay. Who was the oldest? Kira Dulay? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what I was surprised of. Well, well, and that's the thing, yeah. You'll be surprised to see Kira Dulay in the movie. I mean, he certainly looks like an adult, right? Right, exactly. Like, you think of him in 2001, you're like, that's dad. Yeah. <laughs> How in the world is dad in this movie? Yeah, um, but they, just... they, 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 I think they do a good job with him. Here's something super interesting. Mm. Gilda Radner was offered the role that Andrea Martin ended up playing. And 
she was attached for a while. She was going to do it. Yeah. But she dropped out one month before filming because she had to do um, Saturday Night Live. Oh, man. I can't say that that would have been better or worse. Yeah. That's so trippy to think about because Andrea Martin's really good in the movie. Uh-huh. Like, very understated. And it would have been crazy to see Gilda Radner. Yeah, it would have been. Like, kind of in that same mode. That would have been, uh, that would have been awesome. Yeah. The role of Mrs. Mack in the movie, who's the, the, the den mother, was originally offered to Betty Davis. Mm. How about that? Those Betty Davis eyes, guys. Yeah, that would have been crazy. Mm-hmm. Why does she turn it down? Was she drunk? <laughs> no. I don't she, know. Um, she went to a, her dentist. Told, no, I don't know. <laughs> Keir Dulay, old man Keir. <laughs> Dead. The old, the old creepiest guy in the entire cast, who's really great in the movie. I, I bet, I, I predict that when he comes, the first scene he's in, Sean, yeah. that scene will be over before you're like, oh, wait a second. That was him. Really? I okay. Think I think that'll happen. Okay. We'll see. Oh, some some contrary rumors about the onset Margot Kidder antics. <laughs> that Margot Kidder and Andrea Martin became close friends. No. So it sounds like somebody she wasn't was a little bit distant. frozen out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the main reasons old man Keir Dulay agreed to do the film was because it was being shot near where his parents lived and he wanted to visit them. Hey, you know, sometimes... That's a great reason. Yeah, that's all it takes. Yeah. So finally, Olivia Hussey was reportedly she was uh, excited to be in the film because mm-hmm. she had never done a horror movie before in her career because she doesn't like to even watch them because yeah. she gets too scared. And this would have been her first film since giving birth to her son. She had also never been to Canada prior to the film's production. Well, she's just ticking off all the boxes then, right? Oh, absolutely. If you're listening to this podcast, and that includes you, Sean, <laughs> okay. and you haven't seen the movie before, this is a very interesting point that bef- just before she came and did this movie, she gave birth to her son. Okay. I want you to keep that in mind. We'll Two do. things. She gave birth to her son. Gilda Radner almost had Andrea Martin's part. <laughs> and number three of the two things I'm pointing out is Kier Dulay, you won't recognize him in his first scene. Gone tomorrow. Gotcha. That's right. That's right. And that's as much as I'm willing to point out at this time. Well, thank you very much. About back back yeah. to the back to the Christmas. Is what I was literally gonna say <laughs> back to the Christmas. Wow. Black Christmas. Where we're going, we don't need chimneys, Craig. Jesus Christ. That 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 would have been a good tagline. So <laughs> Olivia Hussey was born in 1951. This movie was made, well, it came out in 74. I'm assuming they made it earlier that year, probably. A little bit earlier, yeah. So she was pretty young to be yeah. having a, a wee one then, especially for she an was. actress. Good for her. Sure. Good yeah, no, I mean, her. back then, man, you you didn't stop. Yeah. You just mommed it up if you were an actress. That sounds really gross. But, Canada. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. No, that's awesome. That's a fun thing to show your son. It's like, yeah, I had this. I made this movie right after I gave birth to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. When you were born, it inspired me to do mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. and then just show the movie. And no, that's not Grandpa. That was actually Cure Delay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. We could go on, but we won't. But we won't. That was awesome stuff. I knew there would be some fun tidbits in there. Did not expect Gilda Radner and Elvis to be mentioned at all. So yeah. that's super duper cool. I can't wait to add my name to the list of fans, not unlike Elvis and Steve Martin. Uh, yeah. So I can have even more in common with both of those guys. And I'll be able to do that, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Next time we talk, happy, happy holidays in advance. Enjoy 
the mad rush that is life pre-Christmas and whatever you're celebrating this year, even just being off work, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Thanks for checking this one out and the one before it. And definitely come back. We'll wrap up the year nicely. Craig, any last words? I do. I saved one tiny tidbit of trivia for my last one. Yes. Because this is another thing. This is the fourth of the two things I want you to keep in mind. Okay. While watching. Well, hang on. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let me recap. Please. Two things. Gilda Radner could have been in it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to miss Cure Delay the first time. Yeah. Olivia Hussey had just had a baby. That's right. Those are the three. Okay. And number four. Shit, I just lost it on the page. And number four. <laughs> number four. In order to get the proper creepy and raspy voice for Billy, actor Nick Mancuso had to stand on his head to compress the thorax in his neck. That sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. So anytime you hear Billy on the phone, keep in mind the actor was standing on his head. We'll talk about that next time for sure. It's making me think of the lady that did the voice for Reagan when she was possessed in The Exorcist oh, yeah. and that fun story. She'd like drink and smoke a ton or yeah, something? Yeah, and she had not yeah. had a sip of alcohol in a long time because she had had major problems with it. Yeah. <laughs> she did. And good for her. She took one for the team, and it was a classic. And uh, I can only assume the same for Mr. Mancuso there. Thank you, sir, for yes. harming your body for our pleasure. And oh, uh, hopefully we've harmed some bodies tonight as well, Craig. Indeed, indeed. We can only hope. On that note, we'll talk next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.